Welcome to To The Point Cybersecurity Podcast. Each week, join Eric Traxler and Carolyn Ford to explore the latest in government cybersecurity news and trending topics. Now, let's get to the point. Good morning. Welcome to To The Point Cybersecurity Podcast. I'm Carolyn Ford and here, as always, with Eric Trexler. Good morning, Eric. Good morning, Carolyn. We have Derek back. I'm so excited. I know. And I, I want to say hello to our listeners really fast because, you know, I want to go for I it. I want to do our my plug of give us a review on your podcast platform. And this week, if you give us a review and then share that review with me on LinkedIn or tag me somehow, you can even email me cford at forcepointgov.com. I will send you a free Talent War book. So that is George Randall and Mike Sorelli's- From Echelon Overwatch. So their book's coming out November 10th. You give us a review. I personally will send you a free book. So there we go. And now let's get to our guest this week. Derek, thank you for coming back. Yeah, Carolyn, Eric, thank you for having me back. I, I, our last conversation was uh, pretty fun. So it's, it's always enjoyable to be here with you guys again. I learned so much. Same. And so we talked about DevOps and, and DevSecOps last time, and you kind of did a mean thing to us and left us hanging at that the end of that episode. <laughs> Because That's what all episodes should do. <laughs> it was great, which is why we needed to have why you back. Why tune in next time? That's, that's the whole thing, right? Exactly. So so the teaser was the top attacks you've seen through the software supply chain based on the latest state of the software supply chain report. Yeah. So I, I want to jump in, but first, I, will you set the stage for our listeners? I honestly had not heard of software supply chain before. I've heard supply chain, not software supply chain. So can we just start there and just give us a quick overview of what that is? Yeah, I, I think that's a great place to start, Carolyn. So the, you know, I think the easiest way to look at it is everyone has technology supply chains. And within those supply chains, you have hardware and you have software. But those supply chains operate in very different ways. So if you think about a normal supply chain, technology supply chain, there are suppliers out there that make computers, servers, network equipment, storage, etc. And if your organization wants to purchase those, they go out, they talk to the different suppliers, they figure out this is what we need, this will be the price of it, and you work through Normally, you work through a procurement organization that will say, this is a trusted supplier for us. We vetted them. We have them in our financial accounting systems, et cetera, and we can process this. And we know exactly what we bought, who bought it, and where it's going in the, the enterprise. In, in terms of software supply chains, if you buy an enterprise package software, it kind of operates in, in the same way. But there are other parts of a software supply chain that are less transparent to you if you're not a developer. So in, in modern software development, there are a huge, uh, a vast ecosystem of suppliers out there for software. If you're a developer, you don't code your applications from scratch anymore. 
Uh, effectively, what you do is assemble most of your application from open source components, and those components are built by open source projects. And that is a single developer, a team of developers around the world that contribute code and make it freely available. These are the suppliers of, uh, of software in software supply chains. Containers work the same way that anyone, you or I could build a container, put it up on Docker Hub, you or I could build an open source component and put it up on Maven Central or the NuGet Gallery. And any developer in the world can download that software component and bring it into the organization. It does not pass through procurement. It does not get vetted by uh, anyone in the organization unless you have automation set up to do this. But you know, just to give you a sense, in, in an organization developing in Java today, that organization will download about 300,000 Java components through its software supply chains that don't normally get vetted by anyone in a, a normal procurement kind of process. If you have a thousand developers, you have a thousand people in procurement for your software supply chains. Uh, if you are developing in JavaScript, my research this year in the state of the software supply chain reports to every JavaScript developer on average is pulling in 100,000 open source software packages a year. So there's just a huge volume of consumption Hold on. through these I, I wanna, software supply chains. I wanna, I wanna ask a question yeah. here. Every developer pulls in how much? Every JavaScript developer on average pulls in 100,000 JavaScript packages. So in the beginning, in the, the introduction year. to the report, yeah. you said that corporate software engineering teams have 20 million software developers. Uh, there are about 20 million software developers around Out the world. there. Right. Yep. So when you multiply those numbers together, I mean, that's a massive number. Yeah, so just in, in the JavaScript realm alone, there are about 7 million JavaScript developers in the world. They will download about 1.2 trillion open source packages this year. And those do not go through normal procurement technology supply chains. They're just pick the number of developers you have, and that's the number of people effectively in procurement for your software supply chains. Yeah. Wow, so, th so they're, they're, they're just pulling them in and yes. nobody's doing security checks necessarily. Uh, some organizations are, the high-performing organizations are, but you know, we, we go out and we survey different software development organizations um, throughout the year. And this year we looked at, uh, or we surveyed over 5,000 developers, and about 57% of those said, we have a... Um, we have a policy in place for what open source we can pull in or not. But when we ask them, it, you know, do you have a policy and do you follow that policy? A smaller percentage of the developers actually follow the policy because often if it takes you know, weeks to get an approval for an open source package that a developer wants to use, um, they'll usually ignore the process and kind of work around it. Uh, so the, the actual compliance to the policy uh, is well under 50% of organizations out there that you know, have developers that are following rules for what they can bring in to organizations or not. And some have absolutely no rules. Developers can consume any components that they want. Wow. That sounds like a lot of risk, Derek. 
Uh, it can be, <laughs> certainly. <laughs> and I think we've seen that play off and or play out in a number of different scenarios, whether it be you know the Equifax breach, uh, open SSL and the Heartbleed uh, vulnerabilities that, that were out there along with the more host- public ones. Yeah. Yeah. Other large open source vulnerabilities that have been uh, introduced in the, the last uh, last several years. Well, and I was looking, I have it right in front of me here. I know Carolyn's having some mic issues, but I was looking at the uh, report, reviewing it again this weekend from, yeah, I read it before. Mm-hmm. Um, but the next genera- generation software supply chain attacks 2015 to 2020, the magnitude, I'm going to hold it up. I know we're doing some video these yeah. days. The yeah. magnitude in, of increase is significant, really starting yeah. in... Oh, you know, I don't know, a year, year and a half ago, June of 19, and then another one in December of 19, just boom. I mean, if that's your batting record in the World Series, you're doing well. If this is the number of attacks hitting your business, you should be scared to death. Yeah, so so here's the, I'll I'll throw out some scary information um, because (laughs) I, I think for our listeners, it's really important to understand this. If you look at a, an open source related breach like Equifax, I mean, this, this is a poster child for it. it was an open source component. They had it became vulnerable. The adversaries found it in a matter of three days and the initial breach there started. And it also started in about seven other places around that, that same day that Equifax was breached. But this is kind of a, a legacy style software supply chain attack. Adversaries are waiting for an open source component to become known vulnerable. Once it's vulnerable, they race to find instances of that vulnerable component that are deployed yeah, out there that. faster than the enterprises can patch it or update it. So since Equifax, there have been uh, there's been a considerable investment in organizations saying, I don't want to be the next Equifax, and how do I avoid that? And they're investing in things like software composition analysis that is aimed at using the best, most secure open source components out there. And in the annual survey that I mentioned, we've actually seen the percentage of breaches attributed to open source drop from 31% of our developers shortly after the Equifax breach to 21% of developers that we survey. So things are improving there. Because, because of awareness? Or, right. Organizations are investing more in, I don't want to be the next Equifax. So yeah. the, the, the stats that you pointed out on the, the report of the increased number of attacks actually show a, a, a change in adversarial behavior. What used to be a kind of wait and pray technique, let's wait for the vulnerabilities to come out and then exploit them. Adversaries are saying, hey, I can be part of an open source project. I can contribute code into that project that's then supplied to developers around the world. So if I pick an open source project as an adversary to contribute to, where I can contribute good code and bad code, um, that open source project may be downloaded 10,000 or 100,000 times a week. If I insert some malicious code into that, it can be deployed or downloaded 100,000 times by developers this week and then put into applications where I'm effectively constructing my own zero days. 
organizations aren't paying attention to the quality of open source that they're pulling in. And this is where we saw an increase. Since last year, we saw a 400% increase in this type of attack. There were 900 attacks. Right. 900 attacks since uh, June of last year, since June of 2019. So, so that was my question. I was, I was actually listening to the recording you made last night to refresh myself on the way back from some family, a family trip. And that was the real question. As an adversary, it seems like you would have a huge incentive to contribute good code with yeah. malicious code buried inside of it that only you know about. Yeah. Which you can then monetize or exploit. Yeah. So how do we, so, so I'm a, you know, I'm a government software development manager. Yeah. What do I do to figure that out to prevent that? Because obviously I need to use open source software, right? So how do I, how do we secure that software supply chain as you refer to it to make it better? Well, I think the the first and most basic thing that you need to do is get an understanding of what open source you're currently consuming within yeah. uh, within your agency. And I'm right? betting most so people it, have no idea. It, it all starts with we need to talk to our developers and we need to work on ways to assess or get an inventory of what they're using. And getting an inventory is difficult if you approach this manually. Like we just talked about every single JavaScript developer downloading 100,000 packages. You could never employ enough people to manually automate that. Now you can actually just do a review of software builds in about five seconds or 10 seconds to say, give me a report or create a software bill of materials to say, what are all the open source components that we've used in this software and creating that inventory gives you then the the next chance Awareness. to understand uh, are those parts good or are they bad if you don't know what you're using you can't evaluate whether they're good or bad so you just have to start with a very basic step of identify what what you have and, and this is something that it, it it's not my idea per se i've been pushing this for a long time, if you listen to me out in, in various public forums where I am uh, presenting and, and participating, but the Department of Defense is, you know, is very focused on this. Congress has introduced legislation on this. FDA has policies that, uh, that focus on creating a software bill of materials. There's a large, um, a large initiative led by Alan Freeman at uh, NTIA as part of the Department of Commerce. So this is not a new topic. This has been around for a while, but there's certainly encouragement across different government agencies to uh, advise organizations to start producing a software bill of materials. and. Then as part of that practice, evaluating, it's effectively creating the inventory, but evaluating if the inventory is good or inventory is bad. Wow. So I I, I just, I put myself in the position of a software development manager and it almost feels hopeless at this point. Derek, we we lost Carolyn's audio. She's trying to recover it, but let's continue. Do you mind if we play speed round? I'll I'll throw some statistics out from the report and you give me your quick thoughts. Yeah. So- Okay, so high performers detect and remediate open source software vulnerabilities 26 times faster. 
according yes. to the report. What does that mean? So what it means is they're actually paying attention to what open source they're using. They've okay. applied automation in a way that tells them, hey, if there's a new vulnerability that's announced today, we know what we've used, if we use that component, and we know where it is. And automated intelligence tells us if there's a safe version to upgrade to and allows us to do that rapidly. So that's how high performers end up 26 times faster than the low performers that we studied. Well, and you also said 51% are more likely to create a software bill of materials. I'm assuming that software bill of materials is that catalog they use to know what they have and where it is so that when an ex exploit is announced, they can address it quickly. Exactly. So if you think back to Heartbleed or the Struts vulnerability that was at the center of the Equifax breach, if you have the, the first question that you have in hearing about this new vulnerability in an open source component is, did I ever use that? The second question that you have is, where did I use it if I did? Um, and you either end up with automated technology telling you, you used it and here's where it is and it's vulnerable and there's a safe version, or you end up in a scavenger hunt. I have no idea if we used it. Let's go create some search parties and go out and look manually at all the applications in our portfolio. So it's really a difference between automation and scavenger hunts. So that sounds like a nightmare. Okay, so here's another one that blew me away. I, and I think back to some of the hardware exploits I know. I think the most famous, whether accurate or not, is the Super Micro uh, yeah. report that, that I think Bloomberg released a year, year and a half yeah. ago on, yeah. on the actual BIOS being compromised on, on a Super Micro board. Um, but 11% of components used in applications are known vulnerable. Coupled yeah. with nearly 40% of all R, uh, NPM packages, excuse me, I almost said RPM, rely on code with known vulnerabilities. We know mm -hmm. there's vulnerabilities in our open source software is what you're telling me at a, at a significant level. Yeah. You know, I, I was uh, in a panel discussion last week with uh, Katie Arrington from uh, the yeah, CMMC. Department of Defense. She's been um, on the podcast. She's great. And yeah, so and she brought up this idea of, you know, we need to better understand our software supply chains. And, and you know, I, I had brought up during that conversation, hardware attacks, whether, whether the big hack, you know, in Supermicro actually happened or not, it's extremely hard to pull off. You got to get right. someone in the factory to get an electronic component embedded in a circuit board have that circuit board go out, you know, not be vetted through the technology supply chain. It's hard to infiltrate that factory. Um, by comparison, software supply chains are not difficult to infiltrate. They are created by a bunch of people like us that get on an open source project, contribute code, and that's how all of this gets created. So it's pretty easy to become a member of the community. It's very easy to contribute to the community. And if you're someone with malicious intent that wants to contribute bad code, it's pretty easy to go about doing that. So I'm, I'm reminded of a, uh, you know, the articles you've seen, the, the research I've done on the Chinese have been very prolific on the, they've joined a lot of standards bodies to drive the standards in their yeah. direction. It's a great strategy. Why not do the same thing with open source software, right? You can inject the vulnerabilities. It's a lot less costly than hardware. It sounds almost easy. As an adversary, it sounds like a great idea. Yeah. So and it I, sounds like I, what they're I, doing. 
I'm sure that nation states and rogue organizations are out there doing this today, just on the volume of what's happening uh, out there. You know, I, I can't say that Russia or China or North Korea are doing this, but really anyone that is a software developer could contribute in this way. And there's a lot of money to be made in cybercrime. And, you know, using these kind of malicious code injections into open source to steal credentials, steal passwords, install cryptocurrency miners, uh, et cetera. So there's, uh, you know, if you're an adversary, you take the path of least resistance. Exactly. Where are people looking the least for these vulnerabilities that I can quickly exploit and make money off of that or get to a target that uh, might otherwise be more difficult to get? Yeah, why not? It's easy. So Carolyn feels like she's in a presidential debate. She doesn't have her mask on right now because she's isolated at home, but she's hearing us and can see us, but she can't, her audio's out. Um, but she wants to know, last question, same thing I was going to ask and wrap up. I want to know what orgs should do, organizations should do to keep their supply chain safe. Like what, what are the number one things? You, you already said, understand what you're using and where. Yeah. Yeah, so that, that's that's part of it. Secondly, is you really need to look at automation in, in these areas. So there's a set of tools uh, called software composition analysis. The Gartners and Foresters yeah. and others of the world cover this space. And I would certainly look into that. There are a number of free tools available on the market that can help you evaluate applications if you're leading software development initiatives. There are, of course, paid enterprise tools that, that are available out there. Um, but the, the other thing that I'll just advise is that, you know, a lot of organizations may, may say, hey, we're moving really fast with software development practices and DevOps and right. adding security is going to slow us down. Of course. Or there are organizations that say, I've got security baked into my development lifecycle. And if I move any faster, I'm going to be less secure. And part of what we cover in the state of the software supply chain report is New quantitative evidence, academic, you know, academic rigorous research that says you can actually develop software quickly and keep it secure and that the highest performers out there are more secure and faster than those emphasizing security first as a practice or emphasizing productivity first as a practice. There's actually a high performer group that can do both. And it's about 25% of organizations we surveyed this year that are doing that. Derek, your 24-hour conference, All Day DevOps, happens in two days, November 12th. Are you guys ready? Uh, we are ready. We've got, uh, we've got about 50 people working behind the scenes on this conference from around the community. It's free. It's online. We'll have about 30,000 people attending uh, this year, there's a government track, there is a DevSecOps track, uh, and four other tracks that we have in the conference. So definitely join in, participate. It's free online and you know, invite everyone in your organization to participate as well. Listeners, you can download the state of this software supply chain and see the tips that Derek was talking about, about how to keep your software supply chain safe. This episode was a little bit crazy. I had technical difficulties a few minutes in. I lost audio. I could see Eric and Derek speaking, but I could not hear them. I was able to just listen to the episode, though, and, and just a lot of good information. 
So download the report. And also remember, if you give us a review on your podcast platform and then let me know via LinkedIn, I'm Carolyn Ford on LinkedIn. I will send you a free copy of The Talent War. And we just reviewed that book with author George Randall a few episodes ago. It's such an excellent book about hiring for success. So give us a review, let me know, and I will send you a free book. Thanks for joining To The Point Cybersecurity. Thanks for joining us on the To The Point Cybersecurity Podcast, brought to you by Forcepoint. For more information and show notes from today's episode, please visit www.forcepoint.com slash govpodcast. And don't forget to subscribe and leave a review on iTunes or the Google Play Store 